Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another edition. Bringing in alignment our values and our money is something that I've promoted for over 20 years. They don't always align. It's not unusual for a person to embrace a value that is not fully embraced in their spending. And this can be um, unconscious. It can be uh, completely unattended or unintended. And, And let me give you some examples. Let's take a person who's concerned about climate change and who's a strong proponent of individuals, corporations, and governments going green. So to be in alignment with those values, there's probably some things that we don't want to be spending our money on. And I've found a list of a number of things that's quite interesting. Uh, Some of the things that most impact the planet would be uh, purchasing your coffee in a paper cup. <laughs> All right. Um, and an article says, you know, if you get coffee on the way to work each day, you consume 240 disposable cups per year. Now, if you could cut that down to once a week, that's 52. The most um, environmental friendly thing to do is to get the coffee in a mug uh, or some type of a travel mug. Now, interestingly enough, I typically go to coffee every Saturday with uh, a colleague and we order ahead. And (laughs) it's it's great because the lines at this place are usually so long. uh, We probably save 20 minutes standing in line. The bad news is they serve the coffee in paper cups, even if you're uh, taking the coffee in, which if we'd stand in line for 20 minutes, we'd get our coffee in ceramic cups. So that's just an example of how even well intended uh, a person would be with their values. Now, you've really got to give some thought to how am I spending my money. And another thing would be boxes of tea bags. It's way more uh, economic or environmental friendly to buy tea in bulk because you don't have the box, the paper, the bag that goes around the tea, right? Um, Plastic water bottles. I I think a lot of folks are aware of that. Um... I've had a soda stream for years, and um, so that pretty much eliminates buying water in plastic bottles. But when I go um, get a massage, in one place I go, they'll give me a plastic bottle of water at the end of the massage. In the other one, I'll get a styrofoam cup with the water in it. Um, Again, 
um, good intentions, but but those intentions not being reflected in how the money is being spent. Another one, uh, you go to a fast food restaurant uh, or maybe even a not so fast food restaurant and you get plastic cutlery. Um, that, again, adds to the problem because, of course, oil's involved in uh, making plastic. Um, plastic bags at the, um, at the grocery store. And then something else that I hadn't thought of, produce bags. So when I, I select my produce and try to, to, to uh, select organic produce as much as possible, I'll put it in a little plastic produce bag. Um, so that's a, that's a, a problem. Um, other things on the list would be uh, disposable single-use uh, razors, menstrual products, disposable cleaning cloths. You know, how many wipes have I used since uh, the pandemic hit? Um, another list will have uh, um, antibacterial gels and soaps. Wow. Uh, aerosol cans, uh, detergents containing phosphates, chlorine bleaches, and um, something that I had never considered, microbeads. Lots of microbeads. Certainly I don't use microbeads. Microbeads are found in face washes, body scrubs, toothpastes, and abrasive cleaners. And they go right through the filtration system and out to see. And then, of course, there's using oil-based transportation. Um, all of these are a huge source of pollution and are not environment friendly. So um, oftentimes it takes a, a lot of thought to align our values with our money. In similar fashion, it's not unusual for um, the same individual to extend their values to their investments. They would like for their money to be in firms who have uh, policies to protect the environment, uh, champion uh, maybe gender and, and uh, uh, equality, diversity, equality, fair labor practices, human rights, um, supporting accurate and transparent accounting in companies, uh, wanting to invest in companies that pursue integrity and diversity in their leadership that are, say, uh, accountable to shareholders. Now, um, those are um, great idea, ideals that, that probably would extend the values of many of us. And there is a name for this type of investment philosophy. It's called environmental, social, and governance investing, or ESG. This was recently a topic at a uh, conference that I go to annually um, by the Nasruddin Project on how do we bring our investing in line with our, our values. And um, 
in doing so, there can be less of a uh, dissonance, an emotional dissonance in us, where it feels like I'm in, investing my money in a way that doesn't support my values. <clears throat> so that's what uh, what we're looking for, is so that we, we don't have um, guilt and anxiety around how we invest to where we feel that we are um, congruent. So um, it's no secret that ESG investing has become really popular, especially with uh, millennials. And in recent years, it's just exploded. I read a uh, Wall Street Journal editorial on actually the reason for this podcast is I was sent this particular editorial by a listener that noted we spend more than $20 trillion on ESG funds. Now, how much is $20 trillion? Uh, I, I, I'm always amused when trillions and billions are used not in context of anything else, right? So, for example... Um, this company had a billion dollars in profit. And and doesn't that sound like a lot of money? And to you and me, it is a lot of money, right? <laughs> but a billion dollar, a billion dollar profit, if you're a hundred billion dollar company, is only 1%. <laughs> it's, it's not a lot, relatively speaking. So anyway, I'm... Uh, I, I, I'll get off that soapbox. So $20 trillion is actually 25% of all the professionally managed assets in the world. So that's, that's a lot of money when you think that 25% is going into ESG investing. And they're currently, according to what I could find, 550 ESG mutual funds and ETFs from which what to choose. So if you want to invest in ESG, it's not too hard. Um, so I, I have to ask myself, what, what's there not to like about ESG investing? On the surface, a completely worthy goal and um, certainly helps a person be in congruence with values that they may hold. But the uh, the problem is the old adage, the devil's in the details. It's just not as simple as it looks. So the first thing to understand is that ESG investing is the application and the integration of ESG factors into the in investment uh, process. But there's no universal agreement about what the factors are. Um, what one person will think is environmental, uh, environmentally important, another person may not think that. Uh, what on one person may think is a real important social policy, another person may not. Um, uh, the same with governance. So it's like you have a, a um, unlimited, almost infinite number of factors that need to align to be sure that the ESG filters are those that are in accordance 
with your values. Um, and uh, there was a, a quote I saw from a Jonathan Kavasnik of uh, Cherokee Investments um, in an article that Robert Powell wrote in USA Today in uh, 2018. And he said, just because the fund has ESG in the title doesn't mean it meets your definition of ESG. So it's really important to become very clear about your personal views on social issues, on environmental policy, on corporate governance before shopping for a fund. And then it becomes a pretty tedious um, exercise in going through the 550 funds and finding the ones that are really in alignment with uh, your your priorities. Another thing that is a little troubling is that some ESG funds are more about greenwashing than true ESG investing. Now, what's greenwashing? Greenwashing is when a company talks the ESG talk, but doesn't walk the ESG walk. Um, and uh, uh, Brian Waldner, who is with uh, my um, financial planning firm, used to be a portfolio manager with Columbia Threadneedle. He gave me some insight into this. He said there's firms that practice uh, SRI, socially responsible investing, or ESG. Um, They're not exactly the same, but they're kissing cousins. And then he says there's many firms that market ESG. So there's some that practice and some that market. Um, he, his point is that there's a really large disconnect between investors who practice and implement a values-based or mission-based investment methodology versus those in the business of selling ESG products. Um, <laughs> does that sound familiar? <laughs> Uh, I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't talk much about it on the podcast, uh, the difference between fee-only financial planning and uh, fee-and-commission, or what is called fee-based, fee-and-commission financial planning, right? Kind of sounds like the same dynamic. Uh, there always starts to become a big conflict of interest when there's a sale involved. Uh, Brian says that there's some bad blood between investment firms that practice values-based investing and those that they feel have bastardized ESG investing. And there's three called the big three that uh, fall into that category. BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, who are really uh, focused on the the sale of ESG products. <clears throat> these big three, so these big three are not held in uh, high regard by those really practicing values-based investing. Uh, they've also drawn the ire of Republican lawmakers and attorney generals for what they claim are rampant violations of the fiduciary rule to maximize financial returns not to promote 
promote social or political objectives. So their complaint is that ESG funds have lower returns than a broad market index fund and that this may not be in the best interest of, say, like pension funds um, that are doing ESG investing. I think I I ran a column uh, several um, months ago that showed ESG funds earning, and this is if you use the really cheap ones, somewhere between a quarter and a half percent less a year. Um, Now, interestingly, and being fair, the factors of ESG investing tend to run counter to the political beliefs of many GOP lawmakers. So um, we don't know really how pure their challenging is uh, of this particular issue. But they do have a point. You need to consider the potential financial impact of owning ESG funds. Do they help or hurt the bottom line? Well, there's some uh, data you can get that will say they help the bottom line. But in my experience, most do a little bit worse, as I've said. The average cost, according to Vanguard, of an ESG fund is 1.06%, 106 basis points. While a stock index fund can cost 0.05% or five basis points. So that's a huge difference in cost. So now we got to start bringing into the mix the financial impact of, of values-based investing and the practicality of actually uh, finding an ESG fund that matches my values and one that's not just using ESG as a marketing tool to make me feel good. Um, so, it's, like I said, it's, it's not as easy as it, as it looks. And there's, uh, there's one area of confusion that I find when talking to my clients about ESG investing. And that is the idea that by not investing in companies that don't hold your values, that you in some way be depriving them of capital or in some way hurting them financially. And while ESG investing does help you feel better about the alignment of your values and your investments. ESG investing does not actually impact or hamper the companies that you choose not to own. And this comes as a surprise to a lot of ESG investors who commonly believe that by not owning the shares of an offensive company, they're restricting the flow of capital to that company and thereby imperiling its existence. That is just not the case. And let me give give you an example. Listed among the worst offending companies by ESG organizations are Philip Morris, Walmart, Tyson Foods, Pepsi Corporation, Coca-Cola, and Chevron. Now, no dedicated ESG investor is going to have these companies in their portfolio. However, none of these companies would care or be hurt in the least if you didn't own any of their shares. Why? The only time a company benefits financially from the sale of stock 
is when the company initially goes public, uh, called an IPO, initial public offering, or issues additional new shares to raise capital. Now, these are fairly rare events. Most stocks, I would say almost all stocks, are bought and sold in the secondary market through exchanges like the New York Stock Exchange. And these platforms facilitate transactions between individuals or institutions wanting to buy or sell shares in a company that they own or that they want to own. So the money moves between the buyer and the seller. None of the money goes to the company. Another way companies receive funding to support their uh, ventures is borrowing money from investments and investors. And this is called issuing a bond. It's similar to a stock IPO. Only the investor receives a promise from the company when, when uh, the investor buys a bond, which is loaning them money, to pay them back at some future date. And then you get an interest rate on that loan. Just like stocks, bonds are only issued by a company once. From then on, buying and selling those bonds is done on the open market, a secondary market. And none of the money paid or received goes to the company. So just to, to really bring this home, ESG is not about punishing companies that don't hold your values. It's about owning the companies that align with your value. So excluding the shares of an offending company from your portfolio, again, has no effect on the company's profits or cash flows. Well, you might say, if no one bought a company's shares on the secondary market, wouldn't that have an impact? Absolutely it would, right? If the demand for the shares of a company dries up, no demand, the company's stock price plummets. The problem is the demand for the shares of these companies isn't going away as long as they remain profitable. If 25% of investors purchase ESG funds, that leaves 75% of the market willing to buy these companies. And this includes the 20% of stocks owned by passive fund, which buy the entire market. So the important thing again, investing in ESG funds is not going to hurt companies you exclude. The value of of uh, investing uh, in an ESG company is that it um, will be worthwhile to you because it supports your beliefs and values. So if you're concerned about really making an impact on companies that are not aligned with, with your values, the most efficient way to influence those companies is uh, to be socially or it is well, simply is just to boycott what they're selling. That's going to be far more impactful than owning or, or deciding not to own those companies as investments. Refusing to purchase their products or services will make 
a bigger impact. Now, <laughs> uh, what, what, uh, what, what sometimes is just kind of paradoxical is oftentimes when you start looking at di how difficult it is to implement um, ESG or SRI investing to align with your values, right? To make sure you've got one that's aligned. Uh, sometimes um, folks will just give up and go with the, uh, go with the, like the index. An index fund owns everything. But then if you decide to boycott a company that doesn't align with your values, there's a high probability that you own it in the index. So, um, I haven't given you really a whole lot of answers today, except to say that it can be a real trick aligning our money and our values. And what we need to do is to, to be intentional enough that we can feel at peace and in congruence and uh, serenity with the way in which we invest our money. And that's also, that's, there's that friction of, is, does it make sense? Can I afford, I think it's probably more, can I afford to give up the extra return that it may cost to invest um, in, in an ESG manner? And, and pragmatically, um, we may have the, the money script that, well, yes, absolutely, I need to, to give up whatever it costs to be in alignment with my, my values. Um, but that's, that is sometimes not practical. Uh, yes, you know, we fly airplanes, we drive cars, we use plastics, um, tons of things to where sometimes at, at this point in time, it's not practical. And that doesn't mean it, it should be ignored. Okay, well, I, I hope this has been helpful. I'm sure there's enough in here that I've probably um, <clears throat> offended somebody because um, this is a pretty hot topic. But I, I hope I've given some information that will be helpful to you in deciding what's the right thing for you. Where, where can you be anxiety-free, guilt-free, um, and, and as aligned as possible in your money spending behaviors uh, as with your values. So, again, uh, would love to hear any thoughts that you have. Uh, reach out to me, Rick, at rickkaler.com, and I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.